0: is, uh, you know, we're talking about God's will in the specific assignments of our life. And, uh, you know, how many of you know that in the Bible, it just doesn't tell us where to go to school. It doesn't tell us how many kids to have. It doesn't tell us what kind of job to take or where to live, what kind of church to go to. It doesn't really tell us those type of details. Um, it gives us a nice big picture. Because God has a big picture, he's got a big idea, amen, and we covered that in our original intent series talking about purpose, but we're not talking about purpose, now we're talking about the specific assignments that help us carry out the overall purpose. Jesus had an overall purpose, the same overall purpose that you and I have to bring heaven to earth, but he had a specific assignment that no one else could take, and that was to go to the cross and die for the entire world. And so we know that there's a difference between the general purpose and the specific assignment. And when we get into that, everyone looks for personal application. Everyone wants to know, and, and, and we can see, we can point out and say, okay, I see God's will for their life. I see how they follow God's will. I see how they heard from God. I see how they were led. But well, what about me? How am I supposed to know where I'm supposed to? take my kids, what school they're supposed to go to? How am I supposed to know, am I supposed to quit this job and transition into a new position or take a new job? Am I supposed to move my family across the nation? How am I supposed to know God's will for my life? But when you can see, when you peel away people's personal applications and you see the details of how they walked in God's assignment, how they walked in God's will, how they heard God's voice, you can begin to see little details in there of, If I do that in my life, I can hear his voice. And so we're going to have them come up, and I want them to, uh, uh, Randy specifically, to give um, just an overview of what they had to do just several years ago in following God's will for their life and um, the little details of what it took because that's what we're talking about. We said from day one, you know, the, the title of this, series is the solution, the key to solving God's will, and I told you from day one, I bursted everyone's bubble, and I said, there is no formula to solve God's will, you just go ahead and get that out of your mind, there's no two plus two, there's no A plus Y, uh, you know, equals Z, there, there's, there's none of that, because if you remove God from the equation, then we've removed the most important part of the equation. If I give you a formula and say, okay, if you go fast for this many days and pray for this long and read this many scriptures, God will reveal his will, then you don't need God anymore. I don't need a math teacher to tell me two plus two is four anymore. I can do that all by myself. The formula is there. But there's no formula to solve God's will. You have to know how to hear his voice. You don't have to know how to be led. So we said on day one, God's will is not about knowing something. It's about knowing someone. It's not about knowing an and A piece of information it's about knowing a person and so when you just want to know information but you don't ever want to develop a relationship with the person who has that will for you and has that great plan for you we love Jeremiah 29 11 I have a future and a hope well let's get to know the one who has the future and the hope for us instead of just wanting to know what the future and the hope is we get past information get into relationship and then we begin to learn see I know my wife's will I know her intentions. I know her likes and dislikes because I've gotten to know her. I didn't marry her for information. I married her for a relationship. And so when you develop that relationship with God, you will find you'll begin to learn what he likes and dislikes. You'll begin to learn his ways. You'll begin to learn how he wants to do something because that was the second part. God's not so much into what we do as he is into how we do it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, do it as unto Jesus. He's not so concerned with how many kids you have, he's concerned with how you raise them. He's not so concerned with what campus you go to school on, he's concerned that are you going to take Jesus on the campus. He's not so concerned with what job you take, but he's more concerned with how you operate on the job as an employee, as an employer, as a co-worker, as a, a, a person that's doing business with someone else. That's what he's concerned with. So Sometimes I think we've been asking the wrong questions. He doesn't care if you eat Fruit Loops or Cocoa Puffs for breakfast, he's concerned with how you carry out your life. And so the bigger question is, how am I supposed to do something? And we know that if we will trust in God, he will lead us on his paths and lead us in his ways. But we have to submit to his way. Many people want to know God's will, but do it their way. And if you're going to know God's will, you're going to have to do it his way. Okay. And so that's what we discovered, and then we discovered a few elements last week, and so that's a brief uh, recap for where we've been. But if you'll go to Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, I'm going to camp this morning. I know most of you know me as having a whole list of scriptures and different versions and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to kind of camp right around Romans chapter 12. Most of us know Romans, actually go to Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Let's go there first. Go ahead and put that on the screen. Because there's a key word here that you need to see that, ha- that makes us go backwards. See, so there's some words in the Bible. Uh, you know, one important thing about Bible study is context. And when you read a scripture, you can't take it out of the context that it is in. So you've got to read a little bit before and a little bit after. You've got to know the verses surrounding it. You've got to know the chapters surrounding it. you got to know what book it's in. When was the ro- book Written, these are things you have to get into when you start studying the Scripture. And so there's a word here. It says, I beseech you, therefore. Well, that word, therefore, makes us go back. What he's saying is, since this, now this. Well, I need to know what this was before, before I can understand what's going on after. And Romans is probably, it's probably got to be my favorite book in the whole Bible. It's a very confusing book to a lot of theologians because there's so many dichotomies in it. There's so many paradoxes in it. There's so many, I'm dead, but I'm alive. I was in sin, but now I'm made righteous. There's so many, you know, opposites, things that seem controversial. And to just a theologian trying to study it with their head, That's why the Bible can't be understood just by natural thinking, natural processing, but it's by the Holy Spirit. And so Romans is a great book. And Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul goes on a whole ordeal and covers so much stuff. But basically what he's covering is the big picture, the redemptive plan of Jesus. The redemptive plan of God by sending his son Jesus to this earth. He says things such as, uh, you were in sin, but now you have been made righteous. He identifies first in uh, one chapters 1 through 3 of the fallen man, the fallen state. He talks about all of it. And he talks about drunkenness. He talks about wrath. He talks about homosexuality. He covers the whole thing. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then we get over into chapters 4, 5, 6, and he starts talking about what Jesus did and how Jesus became like Adam. Jesus came as the first Adam, knew no sin, but became sin for us, became our substitute. And then we get into exciting, well, then we see the chapter 7, the argument that Paul has with himself of when I want to do the right thing, I do the wrong thing. And when I don't want to do the wrong thing, or when I you know, don't want to do this thing, I end up doing it anyways. We see that big mess that he gets in. And then Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. Romans chapter 8, that's probably my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. You're more than overcomer, overcomers. You're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from his love. Those, all, those are all in Romans chapter 8. And then we get over into Romans chapter 11, and this is where he sums up this whole first section of Romans. And look at verse 33, because this word, therefore, in Romans 12, 1, makes us go backwards. So let's go back up to Romans chapter 11, and go to verse 33. And it says, Oh, the the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Verse 35. For who... For who has given first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. But look at verse 36. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever, and amen. And when we get into verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12, you'll see why this, For of him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. God is after one thing. He's after glory. He's after getting the credit. God is a jealous God, the Bible says. And so when he gives a pursuit or a plan to somebody, it ought to reveal him in the process. It ought to reveal God in the process. Walking out God's will has nothing to do with us except the role that we play in operating in God's will. So God has a plan for us. God has a will for us. God has a provision for us. And it is for of him and through him and to him. Look at the New Living Translation of these verses. Go back up to verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. That right there can be a little discouraging. Well, I'm going to tell you how to know his way. I'm going to tell you how to know his plans and his ways. We'll cover that. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? Look at verse 36. This is awesome. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen, or so be it. That's exciting to know that everything that God has planned out, that whole uh, passage that Paul wrote, Romans chapter 1 to verse 11, he wraps it up with, but look, here's what you got to know. Everything I've just told you is for him, to him, and through him, for his glory, has been done by his power, and has been done by his resource. That's exciting. Jesus came. For his glory. He created us for his glory. He redeemed us for his glory. He made us righteousness for his glory. His love, nothing can separate us from his love for his glory. Many people just want to know God's will just so they can be right. But the thing is, is they forget that God is to be glorified in everything they do. God wants you to walk in his will so he can be glorified through your life. That's the number one purpose. He doesn't want you to walk in his will just so you don't stumble around and fall over the place and do silly things. He wants you to be in his will so you will give him the glory and give him the credit. He should shine through your life. But there's no way for God to shine through your life if you don't walk in his will. And we know we've we've heard people people make these statements, I don't want to be outside of God's will. In fact, we've probably all said that at one point. I don't want to be out of God's will. And when we say statements like that, we mean we talk about timing, we talk about location. I don't want to move at the right time. I don't want to take the wrong job at the right time. Maybe I'm supposed to be at this job for a certain season, but I feel like I'm transitioning. Am I supposed to take that next position? Am I supposed to stay where I'm at? And we ask these questions and we're so concerned about being in God's will and we forget that He needs to shine through my life. Can he shine through your life where you're at today? Can he shine through your life in the position you're at today? In the location you're at today? In the timing where you're at today? We're concerned about are we supposed to have two kids or four kids? Only have one. Well, let God shine through your life as a parent with the one child you have today. We said last week that, one of the biggest, biggest things that we have to look at when we are um, trying to identify God's will is we have to understand that it's more present than future. Many people talk about God's will as a future thing. Well, when God shows me his will, or when I get in God's will, or I want to know God's will, and we forget that God has a will for us today, right now, in the present. And if we'll operate in God's will today, watch the doors who'll open up tomorrow. Watch what he'll do. So God is showing us here that everything that he's doing and everything that he has done and is going to do in your life is to reveal himself through you. That's the biggest thing we just saw in verses 33 through 36. So now let's go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It continues right on. you got to remember these books aren't written in verse and chapter, Paul wasn't breaking up something. He was continuing a thought process. We only add those numbers in there so we can find it. Otherwise, the Bible would be very hard to read and very hard to locate certain things. Thank God I can say, uh, you know, my favorite verse is Romans eight sixteen. Instead of, well, you know, somewhere in Romans in the middle of it, he said this thing about uh, nothing can separate you from my love. I don't, I don't know where it is. It's easy location. That's why the numbers are there. But Paul's continuing a thought process, and so he says, Since everything is for him, to him, and through him, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Go to verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you see here that he has made these two statements in verse 1 and verse 2. Referring to what was at the end of chapter 11. And he ends it with, and this is how you will prove what is good, what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're going to cover how these two verses break down. God's will for our life. So we're just going to stay right here pretty much for the duration of this service on these two verses, and we're going to go line upon line. So let's go back to verse one. And so, uh, verse one in the, yeah, there we go. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Most Christians are, okay with just prevent presenting their spirits. We all know that when we got saved, your spirit was immediately changed, immediately transformed. And most believers are okay with that. And they never get past that into how do I present my flesh? What do I got to do on the outside? He says, present your bodies. Now that word bodies encompasses the whole. He wants it all. He wants you spirit, soul, and body. He wants your emotions, he wants your mind, he wants your actions, he wants your being, he wants who you are. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. So when he says present your bodies, he's not just talking about get saved and just be excited about coming to heaven one day. He wants all of you to be in the will of God. All of us, all three parts of us. He wants our mind, he wants our will, he wants our emotion, he wants our actions, he wants our entire being. So present your bodies, a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now sacrifices, this was not an uncommon word, this was not an uncommon thing. You got to remember back to the Old Testament, sacrifices were constantly being made sacrifices put you in remembrance that someone else is in charge. If you're in charge and you're calling the shots, you don't have to sacrifice anything. But the sacrifices showed up to keep the people in remembrance that I am your God. I am your creator. I'm the one that's dictating and determining your life and your ways. And when you get outside of that, Now we have to make sacrifices. But here's the other thing about sacrifices is sacrifices, that was a time of worship. I mean, you'll see many times that they offered up sacrifices, and God would come down and meet his people right there on the spot. He'd show up in the flame. He'd show up in the smoke. He'd show up in in the temple. He'd show up in the, uh, the tent that they built out in the wilderness. We think of time of worship, and we think of what we just did this morning, but in the Old Testament, their time of worship was a lot dirtier and messier than what we have to deal with today. We just have to worry about, is it too loud, and are we singing too fast, and are we, are we all on the same note? And they're worrying about, that. I chop off the right part of the body? Is this lamb, you know, unblemished? Does it have anything wrong with it? Is it? And so sacrifices were very serious to God, but this was also a time of worship to him. So God takes sacrifices very Seriously. God did not want an imperfect sacrifice and he didn't want it done with insincerity, with a nonchalant attitude. I just throw it up there. And many many people have this life of, I just give them what I got. I heard one minister say, God doesn't want your leftovers. He was talking about you know that, that, that he's not too keen on churches doing a whole lot of yard sales and garage sales. He, he, he says we do them, but I, I don't want to get people in a mindset of bring your junk and give it to God. <laughs> God doesn't want your God wants your best. God wants all that you have. We've talked about that before. That God is first place, or He doesn't play at all. He was that guy. If He doesn't get picked first, He doesn't play. He quits. He walks away. He was that guy. God has first place, and that's it. And so God has a very high standard for his sacrifices. If you look through the Old Testament, you'll see that he had a very high standard of what was offered to him, what was killed and slain before him, what was burnt before him. In fact, if you go to Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1, he brings a very harsh rebuke to the priests because they were doing just that. In verse 6, Malachi 1, verse 6, a son honors his father, a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. To you, priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Verse 7, you offer defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is, is contemptible, And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. These priests had taken on an attitude of, we'll just give him whatever we got. They were bringing in animals that were blind, that couldn't walk, that were sick. And we just think, well, God should just, be, God should just be glad that I showed up today. God should just be glad I put a couple dollars in the offering. God should just be glad that, and we'll see when we get to the end of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where this plays in. Because people do this with their lives. Well, they should just be glad that, you know, I, I go to church. Sunday and Wednesday. He's got Sunday and Wednesday. Rest of the week is for me. You know, God doesn't even ask that much. <laughs> he really doesn't. I mean, 10%, that means you get to keep 90. You get to keep 90%. If you made $1,000, she's asking for 100. That means you get to keep 900. That's a pretty fair deal. That's not even, you know, 40-60 or 50-50. This is, I, I just take a small sliver, and you get to keep the rest. It's a very small portion when you look at it. And with our lives, people have taken on this mentality of, well, I'll just give them what I got instead of I'll give God my best. Well, I'll I'll go to the job and, you know, I'll I'll let them know I go to church, but I'm not witnessing to anybody. I'm not helping anybody with their problems. I'm not, you're not going to be a light in darkness like you've been called to do, like you've been assigned to do. And so we get more caught up with the job paying us, and then we get mad when they don't pay us what we think we ought to make, and then people just see us be as grumpy as them, and they see us worry about money just like they do, and they see us, uh, you know, concerned with how we're going to make it just like they are, and we're no different. It's because we have taken on a mentality of, well, i just give God what I got. He should just be glad that I'm giving him something. But God doesn't accept that. Go back to Romans 12, verse 1. It says, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Acceptable to God. That means that you could offer up something that is unacceptable. That means that we could actually put something down that he won't take, that he won't accept it. Cain ran into that issue of he should just be glad I'm giving him something instead of giving the first fruits, instead of giving the best of what he had, ran into an issue of it should all be acceptable. And we know what happened. God did not accept it. God is loving. God is merciful. God is gracious. But there are some things that he just will not accept. Now, it says that we should be a living sacrifice. That means our lives should be in a perpetual state of putting ourselves down. Perpetually, a living sacrifice. Every day, I should be putting down my will to get his. I should be putting down my will to get his. I put it this way, living in God's will is a sacrifice of our will. See, we can't have both. See, the priests in Malachi 1, they ran into that. Well, I'll give him this, and we'll keep this. King Saul ran into that. I'll give him this, and we'll keep this. And so we've seen time and time again through the word of God that God just does not accept that. That is unacceptable to God. He said that his, uh, that our lives should be a living sacrifice, holy Acceptable to God. And when you understand how seriously God took sacrifices. How seriously God operated with what was offered up to him. Then we should understand that our lives should reflect that. Our lives should reflect only the best. We will, we will give God only the best of what we have to give. Uh, Jesus put it this way. You have to take up your cross. Now, a lot of us think, you know, sacrifices, they've been done away with. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the last sacrifice. We don't have to sacrifice anything else after that. But that's not a true statement. Because this is asking for our lives to be a living sacrifice. And Jesus said to his disciples, you take up your cross. You realize you and I have the same cross Jesus had. And that was to lay down his will to take up his father's will. No, you may not have to go to the cross and die for the entire universe. But ultimately what Jesus did was he actually laid down his life in the garden and took up his father's will. And all of us have a garden. All of us have a garden where we have to lay down our will and take up his. Because the ultimate sacrifice is putting down our will for his will. Reasonable service. I kind of explained that, that this word service is speaking of worship. This word service is is speaking uh, in regards to worship being made. You realize you don't have to wait to come to church and sing songs to worship God. You can worship God by laying down your will Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, throughout the whole week. Every time you lay down your will, you are putting yourself on the altar, a burnt offering that you're you're saying, not my will, your will. This is all I seek. This is all I want in my life. Not my desires and not for my credit, not for my glory, but that you will be revealed through me. That's worship to God. That is ceremonious to God. That's just as good as lifting up your hands and praising him and thanking him and singing at the top of your lungs. You don't need a guitar, drums, and a keyboard. You don't need to have someone leading you through it. You can worship God daily by laying down your will. That is a time of worship. And watch him come down and meet you. Watch him come down. In Psalms it says, uh, give a sacrifice of praise. See, sacrifice carries with it the connotation that it's inconvenient to you. A sacrifice that was not convenient, that was not an easy thing. Sacrifices were difficult. Sacrifices called for work being done. See, a sacrifice of praise is not when you got that raise you've been believing God for. Sacrifice of praise is You're praising when it doesn't seem like anything is going your way. That's a sacrifice. It ain't convenient. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. But I'm going to sacrifice my will, and I'm going to praise him. Sometimes we just want God's will to line up with our will. I want to know your will, and I hope it's what I'm thinking. Is This the job I'm supposed to take, God, and I hope it is because it's going to pay more money. It's where I've always wanted to live. And we're just hoping that his will lines up with ours rather than I just want mine to line up with his. And so this was an ultimate time of worship. This is the supreme form of worship. Is laying yourself down. It's easy to come in here and put it on and praise God and worship God when the music's cranking and everyone around you worshiping and it just feels like it's a great time. But can you worship God tomorrow when all hell's breaking loose? Can you worship God when you lose the job? Can you worship God when it doesn't seem like anything's going your way? Can it can you worship God when it doesn't seem like your spouse is treating you properly? Can you worship and praise God and live a life that's a living sacrifice to him in those times? That's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now go to verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. That word conform means to accommodate or accept a model or pattern. It means to accept or accommodate a model or pattern, a way of life. If we conform to the world, that means that we have accepted their way of doing things. If we conform to the world, that means that we are just going through the motions like they're going through the motions. We respond to things the way they respond to things. We talk like they do. We act like they do. We go to places they go to. We look at what they look at. We listen to what they listen to. That's being conformed to the world to accept or accommodate their modern their their model or pattern their way of life their way of thinking the greatest enemy to god's will is your will the greatest enemy to god's will is your will many people want to know god's will but they want to do their will so if we're going to know god's will we have to first purpose ourselves that I'm not going to conform to this way of life and to what I see around me. I'm going to be transformed and do it your way. I desire your will more than my will. So the goal, the goal in this whole process is to get your will to line up with his will, not vice versa. The goal is to let God's will become your will. The greatest moment of struggle that we saw in Jesus' life, and of all the things he did, all the miracles that took place, the greatest moment of struggle we saw in Jesus' life was not with death, was not with lame people, was not with blind people, It was in the garden when he said, Not my will, but your will. That identifies right there that that's going to be a struggle in life. I mean, he's sweating drops of blood. Now, we know that what he had to go through was torturous. We know that he knew what he was looking forward to, he knew the pain that he was going to have to endure, he knew that. But ultimately, what separated him. Or what put him in that struggle was separation from his father. Because he knew if I get out of your will, I'm out of relationship with you. That was the greatest torment to him. And the greatest struggle he had was, I'm going to put myself down and I'm going to take on what you want me to do. I'm not going to look at my small picture, but I'm going to look at your big picture. And he realized the greatest enemy to what God wants to do through my life is what I want to do with my life. The the greatest hindrance, the only thing standing in the way, the only thing that's keeping me from walking this thing out is what I want to do. And we know that Jesus had a will. John chapter 5 verse 30. I do nothing according to my will. He can't make that statement if he doesn't have a will. Because then he would have to say, I don't have a will, so I automatically do what my father says. But he didn't say that. He said, I do nothing according to my own will. But I do and operate according to my father's will. I go where he tells me to go. I say what he tells me to say. I do what he tells me to do. I'm here on his initiative. You've got to understand why you're here and who you work for. You've been sent here by the king on a mandate, on a mission to fulfill his will and his purpose for your life, yet we come down into this earth, grow up, and decide to do what we want to do. And so we have to get our will to line up with his will, transformation. Knowing and understanding God's will only comes by transformation now your spirit man on the inside when you're saved when you're born again you make Jesus the Lord of your life it is changed immediately instantaneously I mean you come up here you pray to that prayer and you make that decision wholeheartedly you walk back you are a new creature 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 17 says but guess what this stuff on the outside, it didn't change. No one's white hair turned back to brown when they got back. I heard one minister say this past week, if you were tall before you got saved, you're tall after you got saved. If you're short before you got saved, you're short after you got saved. He said, if you were ugly before you got saved, you're ugly after you got saved. <laughs> it, nothing changes on the outside. It stays the same. The change happens on the inside. So what now has to take place? A process of transformation. And how does that come? By renewing your mind. If you can change the way you think, you can change the way you live. We just talked about that this last week. A renewed mind leads to a renewed life. So we have to renew our minds. we got to think differently. Why? Because our minds are conformed to what's around us. You will automatically uh, go that way. This world will dictate and determine your mind if you let it. But if you're deliberate about changing your thinking, if you're deliberate about changing your life, then you will renew your mind to God's word. So if we're going to walk in God's will... Renew your mind to God's word, because everything you see out here is contrary to his will, is contrary to his purpose, and it will fight God's will in your life. It will destroy God's will in your life. So we've got to take on this transformation by renewing our mind. We are not capable of knowing and doing God's will in our previous state, period. There's nothing about who you were before you came into the kingdom that said, I want to live for God. I want to do the will of God. Nothing. So we get saved, and now we have to renew our mind to the new life that we have just come into. But the sad part is, is there's a lot of Christians that have been changed on the inside, but they never get transformed on the outside. And their spirit on the inside knows God's will. The Bible says that he knows God's will. He's he's one flesh with God. Knowing. He knows your purpose. He knows your destiny. I put it this way. The Holy Spirit is your guide. Thank God the Holy Spirit is guiding you somewhere he's already been. The Bible says the Holy Spirit knows your future. He knows the plans that God has for you. He knows the job you're going to take. He knows how many kids you're going to have. He knows who you're going to marry. He knows all those answers. But we have to yield to him and transform our minds and renew our minds to him and get in tune with that. It's terrible to become a Christian and have a spirit man on the inside that is renewed to the new life. But on the outside, we have no clue on how to understand God's will. And that's why we have to be renewed in our minds. This word, prove, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind, verse 2, so that you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That word, prove, actually means allow. Allow. What a a danger it is to just not even allow God's will in our lives. We've got to get in a position where we say, God, I'll allow your will to take place in my life. I allow that course to run. I allow you to do with me whatever you want for your glory, not my glory. See, if it's your will, then you can get the credit. But it's his will, so he gets the glory. He gets the credit. He's shining through you. So we've got to prove, we've got to allow the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, when I was in high school, we loved this verse because we thought that there were three different types of the will of God. There was a good, and then there was an acceptable, and then there's a perfect. And so we'd make steps. We'd we'd make comments like, you know, they they might not be in God's perfect will, but they're they're in his good will. Anybody else ever heard that before? Uh, Okay. I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. And so we would say, I don't know if I want to do his perfect will today, but I'll do his acceptable today. I'll do the acceptable will of God. And then I heard Pastor Earl minister on this when I first got to St. Augustine, and he destroyed all that. Thank God he did. And he has a gray SUV, Chevy Tahoe. And so he said, out in the parking lot, I have a Chevy Tahoe. And it is big, it is gray, and it is fast. He said, those are three adjectives that describe one Tahoe. I don't have three different Tahoes that are sitting out there, three different SUVs. So he said, here we have three adjectives, good, acceptable, and perfect, to describe one will of God. His will is good. His will is acceptable. And his will is perfect. So you're either in it or you're not in it. That take, that. take That's just, you got one out of three, and now you just got down to 50-50. We just took a multiple choice and just went, True and false on you. You're either in the will of God or you're not in the will of God. And if you're in the will of God, you're in his good will, you're in his acceptable will, and you're in his perfect will. Because God did not have good sacrifices, acceptable sacrifices, and then perfect sacrifices. He either took it or he did it. So your life being that sacrifice, you're either... Good, acceptable, and perfect, or he's burning it up and you ain't taking it, and he ain't taking it. So we've got to get in line, and we've got to find out what is the will of God, and when I get in it, it will be good, it will be acceptable, and it will be perfect. Now, these might be the stages or the levels that you discover God's will. We know this, that the Bible says, actually, there's a few more verses down, that he has given to all of us a measure of faith. But how many of you know you can grow that faith and you can develop that faith? We all have muscles, but we've all developed them to different degrees, greater or lesser degrees. Well, God's will is the same, and you can operate in God's will to one level, but he wants you to grow in that. He wants you to continue to pursue his will. We don't need to get in a position where we think we're and feel like we've gotten God's will for a specific assignment, and then we leave him out for the rest of our life. God wants, to, God wants you to be in his will as a parent, as a mother, as a father, as a spouse, as an employee, as an employer, as a coworker. No matter what you're doing, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Well, I'll do God's will with my kids, but I'm not going to operate in God's will with my wife. Well, then you're not in God's will. Well, I'll be in, my, I'll be in God's good will with my kids, but I'll be in my, God's perfect will with my wife. It doesn't work that way. God's will encompasses your whole life, present your bodies, all of you, everything you are, your being, everything that encompasses you. He wants all of it. He wants all of it to operate according to his will. Let me read this in the New Living Translation. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, do you sense the urgency because of the redemptive plan that of what God has done for us. Because he's made us righteousness in Christ. He's because there's no more condemnation. Because we don't have to sin so grace may be. Because of all this stuff. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him this is truly the way to worship him it doesn't say if you play the music loud enough you're worshiping him it doesn't say if you sing the right songs or buy the right cd he says if you give yourself up for god's will that is the truest form of worship verse 2 don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That was the key. Change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Not or, and. Discovering God's will is awesome. We all want to know God's will. Remember these statements we said, every believer truly wants to know God's will. Whether whether we're really trying to search it out or whether we're really putting the emphasis on it, when it all boils down, if you ask someone, do you want to be in God's will, most of the time the answer is going to be yes. If you find someone that says no, they're just a dumb idiot. You find a Christian that just says, no, I don't really care about God's will his plan, his purpose. Most people know that God has a will and a plan for their life. We've got verses that substantiate that. We know that he's got a great plan, a great purpose for us. And we want to be in it. Then we said this, God wants you to know his will. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. Because if he gets you clued in on his will, then he can shine through you. That's what he wants, man. He wants to be glorified through your life. He wants, to be, he wants everyone to know what you're doing is because of him. That's why he likes to do things like part seas and get water to come out of a rock and take people into land that's full of giants and seems like there's no way we could take this thing. God loves to take you into situations where he's, there's no doubt he's getting the credit. He loves that stuff because he wants the glory. And you want to give him the glory. Bottom line is if you're able to get the credit for it, you haven't really done nothing. (laughs) In comparison to what God can do, you ain't really done nothing. Well, look at at this job that I got and all the school that I did. Watch God take someone to the top and they have no school and background whatsoever. There's people out there. Look at the disciples. Who are these unlearned men, these fishermen from Galilee? They must have been with Jesus. And who got the glory? Jesus. God gets the glory. God gets the glory when you operate in his will. Next week, we're going to start to discover the channels of how God reveals his will to us. God's got different ways. He's not going to reveal his will to us all the same way. And we think we would love to have an angel wake us up in the middle of the night or have have an earthquake and do all these silly things. But God has some simple ways that I believe most of us have probably just been overlooking, that he could have been using this the whole time to show this is my will. This is what I want you to do. Randy, I want you to come up real quick and just give a brief spiel. They had an opportunity to be out of God's will or in God's will. And there was no good, pleasing, perfect, acceptable. It was one will, and you're either in it or you're not. And it's a great testimony. Yeah. Amen.
1: You know, let's just back up a little bit. Is a few things you need to know about the glory of God. Uh, that, in the last part of uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where it says, you know, this is all for the glory of God. You have to understand the glory of God is just simply the manifested presence of God. His desires always been that when, he, you know, people go through life and see life, he wants to be known or noticed. And so he's looking for us to be carriers of that when somebody said, man, that was God. I mean, when they think of everything else, that was God. And, you know, when we talk about the will of God, you think, what I think about immediately is, you know, uh, through some of the things, and I'm sure over the next several months and stuff. I'll be able to share with you several testimonies, especially about, you know, things that I've gone through with my health. But one of the things that the hospital is always asking me is, uh, do you have a living trust or a will? Well, yes, I do have one. And they always want a copy of it, which I, I don't want to give them one. All right. But, you know, when you think about that, does somebody have a will? What is that will about? It's, it's when they are gone that is to be read and certain steps taken to ensure Different things happened the way they wanted it done before they passed. Well, we know that Jesus and the Father had a will that's what you' that's why the Old Testament is a will. The New Testament is a will it is the planned uh it, it, you know thing to be executed that God wanted done in the earth and so when we talk about that, one of my verses that I was sharing with Pastor Mark last night in Ephesians chapter five verse sixteen uh seventeen really. And it just says, don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, that tells me it's great news because that lets me know that we can understand the will of the Lord. But that interesting part of that word in there, amy, is the word in the Greek for understand, and it simply means this, to put together or piece together. In other words, the will of God may not come ta on you. There might be some clues and some things that the Lord gives you that you might have to piece together. And so in 2008, thousand uh, and I, I was just minding my own business, you know. I, I, I was happy. I mean, things were going good. I mean, it was just a good life, man. I mean, we, you know, that was one thing that I learned the will of God on, on church, man. We never miss church, ever. I mean, except for vacations if we went out. Because the Lord showed me, he goes, that's why I designed that for you. That is the design that I have for you is that you belong to a local church. And he got real specific. This is the one I want you to go to. And we were there for 20 through 22, 23 years before we moved here. You know, so I'm set, man. I'm doing good. I mean I'm a, I'm an elder <laughs> now. I started out as a younger. Now I got to be an elder, right? I mean I'm ministering, I'm having all kind of opportunities and different things like that and and uh Pastor Earl Glisson decided that he was, you know, he it was time for him to leave and that he was going to go start a work in St. Augustine, Florida and uh, he asked Pastor David Emi uh, who was our pastor in, in Oklahoma. Uh, and he and I both to be on his board, and we said, yes, we'll be on the board. Well, they had their, uh, in 2008, they had, you know, their annual uh, uh, four-year anniversary, the annual in 2008 It's when it was. And I told Melanie, I said, you know, I want to really, I really want to go down there. And by that time, Josh had been down here, you know, been down there about two years. And I just said, I think we want to go, but really I don't want to go for the whole thing. I just want to go for the weekend. You know, let's just fly in, fly out, fly in, fly out. Okay, so go ahead and get that all fixed up and ready to go. And, and, and it was odd because I felt like the Lord says, no, I need you there for the whole thing. The Lord, I don't want to go for the whole thing. I said, fly in, fly out, you know. <laughs> he said, no, I seriously, you, you need to be there for the whole thing. And see, the key of the will of God is developing a relationship to be able to hear him. And he's talking all the time. But the pro- problem is sometimes we don't put ourselves in a position to exactly hear what he's saying. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to be in the, quote, ministry to have him talk to you. And so here I am. I, he says, you need to go. My, and so I call Melanie. Melanie, you need to go ahead and reschedule that. We've got to go for the whole thing. I don't know why we've got to go the whole thing. We've got to go the whole, thing, the whole thing. So we get down there, and Pastor Mark was there. And, and I'll never forget, you know, we're, I'm minding my own business. I mean, but Pastor asked us to sit on the front row. Let me tell you. If we ask you to sit on the front row, sit on the front row. And he said, I want you to sit on the front row. So I'm over here about where uh, I wanted to call you by your real name, but I won't chase. Okay, anyway, I just see it every week, you know. So anyway, I'm sitting right here minding my own business. Pastor is on the other end of this row. So all of a sudden the guest speaker comes up and start stood right in front of him and started praying in tongues and here comes his wife and he's praying in tongues over him and everything. Pastor goes to his knee, he's praying, and he's letting him know, you know, spring up and, and things are gonna happen, na, 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 and I'm over here, and I'm going, All right, get him, get him. <laughs> get him, you know. And I mean he and I mean he's on it and and uh, and his wife's getting the interpretation. And he's on his knees, and then he just, he said, uh, he says, and the pastor just falls over. And, and all of a sudden, the man says, double. So everything that he said, he is commanding double on him, and I'm over here, just minding my own business. Yeah, get it. Yeah, double, you know. So here comes the minister walking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. All of a sudden, he stops right in front of me. And he says, and it's about time, isn't it? Whop! And hits me right in the head. Right here. Perfect spot. And he began to pray in the, in the spirit. And his wife comes over here and they give, they give a message. And they said, and this is what she said, it's time to move. Time to move. She said, and she began to talk about some of the things the Lord had been dealing with me, and now is the time to start stepping that direction. It was so funny the next day because nobody knew that the Lord had kind of been tugging on me a little bit about St. Augustine. Nobody knew that, not even my wife. And, and I, I, I was listening, but don't bring a man to start calling it out right there. You wouldn't believe. The next day, everybody's, you know, we, we tape those prophecies so that we can type them out. Because here's one thing you need to learn. Anytime pastor gives you a word or a minister gives you a word, you go back to your seat as fast as you can and begin to write down what he told you. Okay? Because when it comes time to the devil to mess with you, all you have to say is, it is written. It didn't say who is written by. You write it. It was a word to you. Right. The Lord gave that word to you. You hang on to that because, you know, you're going to need it. And so he goes on and everything. The next day in the office, they were saying, Now, we want you to understand that probably didn't mean for you to move down here. I said, It's a good thing. (laughs) Because I I really don't have any intentions of moving down here. Well, one of the things we didn't do, and I made a mistake, and and I went to the Lord about it, is we didn't make Caleb, go with us, you know, we didn't make him go, and uh, he said, I'll be fine, and he was, he can, you know, he can wipe his own nose now, and change his own drawers, he, he he does all right, and I thought, we'll just leave him here, no big deal, and the Lord told me, he said, you made a mistake not bringing him, had no idea of junk he was going through, you know, I thought he's okay, he looked good to me, and I thought, man, and I said, Lord, I repent, I said, you know, and all of a sudden, man, we get home, and he starts he says, man, I need you down in Florida. Lord, you don't need me in Florida, not me. I'm looking around. Is he talking to somebody behind me? What? He says, I need you in Florida. I said, oh, man. I said, Lord, look, I'm 48 years old. I'm set. What, what are we doing? You know, I mean, I'm an elder now. Sure enough, man, he kept on, and I said, okay, here's the deal. You're going to have to show me, you know, what you're talking about. I'm going back down to Florida. Well, two weeks later, we went. I took Caleb this time. We had a service. Pastor was preaching real good, and I'll never forget the message. Remember the message? You know the message, right? It's all planned out. That's what the message was. Caleb has an altar call, right? Caleb's first one down on his knees to the altar crying like a baby comes back, sits in his chair, and can't talk. We're trying to talk. He won't talk. He can't talk. And you know what I thought? That is it, Lord. That's what you're trying to tell me. He needed some help. You don't need me <laughs> down here. You just wanted to help him. <laughs> so let's bring him down here. Let's get him some help. You know, totally changed his life. I mean, he ain't been the same since. I mean, you know, as far as commitment to God and different things, man, it happened right there. You know, I thought that was it. Okay, we don't go home now. <laughs> Ready to go home? All of a sudden, man, it's, it come on me strong. I get invited to a board meeting. You know, the Lord spoke to me in that board meeting. He said, "Look around in the room." He said, "There's not a man in here that understands." This is what the Lord told me. He said, "There's not a man in here that understands the kind of money that this vision is going to take." I need you down here. Man, I thought, oh, Lord. I mean, I, my mind went nuts thinking, how can I do it? I mean, I've got a company that I started back in 1983. I've never left it. I mean, never. Okay? I mean, we had a little hiccup in 2006 with Melanie happened to go to hospital, and we were gone nine days, and I didn't know what in the world was going to happen then. I thought, man, Lord, what, what are we going to do? He started piecing things together, but here's how it happened. He said, I said, you're going to have to show me. I said, Lord, I've never fleeced you in my life. You know what fleecing is? Gideon told the Lord, if it's really you and you want me to do this, I'm going to put this little lamb skin out here in the grass, and tomorrow morning when I get up, I want dew on just the lamb skin. The ground needs to be dry, okay? That's how I know it's you. I'm thinking, whoa. He went out the next morning, and that lamb skin was soaking wet, wrung it out. He said, Okay, if it's really you, this time I want the lambskin dry and the grass to be all wet. Next morning he gets up, sure enough, that's what happened. So that's what we talk when we put God to the test. We call it fleecing him. Don't, you know, he, don't, he don't probably a lot, a lot of times like being fleeced. I said, Lord, I, I've never fleeced you in my life, but I really need you to show me something, you know, that I know this is major. You know, this move, everything. I want to be in your will. Sure enough, we're out of dinner with Pastor. He makes a comment. We get back to the hotel room, and the Lord said, is that good enough? I looked over at Melanie. I said, we're moving. I don't know how. She's looking at me. I said, I don't know how. I don't know what. I have no clue. And then the Lord began to set everything up. You know, I mean, every little item that I had to deal with, he just set it up perfectly. The staff that I needed to be able to run, I got them. After all these years, they showed up. You know, it's amazing when we decide to get into the will of God, what we can do. You know, we moved down here. I'm glad we moved down here because I guarantee I wouldn't be here today to be able to talk to you because I came down with a condition that ended up being cancer, and it got kind of bad in 2010. And we can talk about the will of God concerning healing some other time, But, you know, following him, it it may not always just be right there. But he said, hey, listen, piece it together. That's what he likes. He'd give you a puzzle for your life and said, put these pieces together. And guess what you have? You have a whole picture that gives him the glory. There's no doubt when we tell our stories who's in charge. It's always the Father. And, you know, and I don't care. I mean, unfortunately, the world has (coughs) tried to mold us into its... It's, uh, uh, you know, condition and it's look. I mean, you know, going to public school, going to college, there's expectations. But the thing is, is that, you know, I've told many, many parents, I said, listen, don't send your kids to take a test to find out what they would be good at. Get them before God and ask God why they were born. That's the key. And, you know, is once they find out why they were born, you'll find out you have happier kids, They turn into happier adults because why? They're in the will of God. You know, and that will is so important. Amen? Amen.
0: Amen. God's will is so important. Amen. It's important, and you'll begin to see over the next few weeks as we continue to dive into this thing, little details that he just said as we go over the next few weeks on how to hear God's will, how to know God's will, what are the steps, what... What are the things to look for? You'll begin to, you'll go back to that and you'll hear, oh yeah, he did that. He said that. And it's so important to be in God's will and to know you're in God's will because here's the thing, there's still someone out there that doesn't want you in God's will and he will continue to come back to you and get you to question, am I in God's will? And things will start to happen. And you'll think, man, I must have missed it. Anyone ever had that thought before? I I think I missed it. I think I missed God's will. I'm not in God's will, and I need to get in God's will, and I got out of God's will. So you need to know that you know. What I want to do through this series and through through the rest of this series is to develop a confidence within you that you know you heard God you know you're in his will. You know what his will is. And it's like, it's like Randy said, it's, it's not going to be all thrown on you at one time. He says that the steps of a righteous man, I'll tell you right now, and you may have heard me say this before, if God had laid out the whole plan for my life, I wouldn't have done it. I, I would have said, no, that can't be God. That's what I would have said. But since I allowed him to direct my steps, because when I graduated Bible school, children were scary to me. They're little monsters. And the feeling was mutual. We were all right with that. But had I known, coming out of Bible school, you're going to go into children's ministry, you're going to become a children's pastor, and then I'm going to put you as a senior pastor, I would have said, No, that's not God. I'd have never gone to Florida. I'd never done what I was supposed to do, and I'd be out of God's will today. So take the steps. Don't look for the big thing to be blown up on you, and then piece it together. Because I can look back in my life over the last 10 years, and even further back than that, and I can look at each little piece and see how the puzzle connected to this, and then this this connected to this, and this connected to this, and the whole thing led me to where I'm at today. And it's a beautiful picture of what God's putting together. If we just walk in what he's already ordained. He's already got it figured out. Thank God he's not holding our hands saying, all right, let's see what's life got in store for you. It's already outlined, man. It's already there. He's got it figured out. He's not walking through life with us. He's already been there and back and now said, all right, let's go. And so we want to live in that. We want to walk in that. Amen. Amen. Randy, thank you. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, we thank you.